Acts chapter 16. And as we look at this chapter, prior to to diving into the text, I want to point out that that, that we're we're going into an area of of watching how the Lord is, is planting this church in Philippi for the Philippians. And... And he's starting it out, and we'll we'll see like as he starts the church out, like who's there to be a part of this church. Um, but I think it's it's sweet to be able to to, to go back and 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 look back at, at the way that Paul, who's planning this church, thinks about this church, the way that that he he cares for this body of of Christians in Philippi. He he says in in Philippians one and verse three, he says, "I I think." my God, upon every remembrance of you. When I think of you, that, that church in Philippi, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Um, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day, from the first day that we started until now, the fellowship that we have in the gospel. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. This is coming from a man that just loves this church from our first day. I just I, the, the fellowship that we have in the gospel. I thank God for you every time I remember you. And then we are going to go at this point to say, how did this church start? From that first day and the fellowship of the gospel and the way in which he thought about that church, how did it start? And we began looking at it last week, but let's refresh our memories. If you look with me at verse 13 of Acts chapter 16, it says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. That verse tells us several things. One is that they're going by the riverside to, to, to pray, to meet. Um, for there to be a synagogue, there had to be at least ten families, ten men that would be heads of their households, to make a synagogue. And you take those 10 men and, and that was required to be able to have a synagogue. If, if you didn't have 10 men, then what you would do is you would go and meet either by the ocean or by the river. And so clearly in this particular area, there are not 10 Jewish men who are heads of their household that would, would be there to, to start a synagogue. So you have them meeting by the, the riverside. Not only that, but it tells us that there are only women who are there. So there's no men at all. It's just women that are there by the riverside and they're there to pray. And so a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. So there's this woman that's there, Lydia, and she sells purple, something that would be very expensive for people to purchase, uh, something that, that, that that's a, a picture of royalty. And, and so she's Someone who's sells different linens of, of purple. And it tells us that she worshiped God. 
And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she's someone who's, who's Jewish that has, or, or that, 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 that started to, to follow the things of, of Judaism and had learned about God and worshiped him. And, and, and her heart was just thinking much of the God of Israel. But here is, is Paul sharing the gospel. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul radical passage because we just look and we see the gospel is going forward and what's the Lord doing? The Lord is taking this woman's heart and opening her heart. Making it so that, that, that she's there to hear the gospel. Um, it's such a joy to, to, to be able to evangelize knowing that we serve a sovereign God that opens people's hearts. I mean, to, to be in a place to be able to pray for people's salvation knowing that when you pray for someone to be saved, um, it's a prayer that goes forward knowing that, that we serve a God who is able to save us, right? And unbelievers. He's able to take eyes and, and, and cause them to no longer be blind, but to be able to see. And He's able to open people's hearts just like He did with this woman. It gives us such great confidence that it's not dependent upon the cleverness of the evangelist, but rather the work of God and opening the heart of this person. And when she had heard, and when she and her household were, I'm sorry, and, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. <coughs> Not only is she saved, but her household is saved. We see right there and then she believes and her household believes and they're all, let's get baptized now. Baptized right there at the riverside. It's the beginning of this church. In verse 16, we go from there and we find the next person that joins the church. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And so they're in prayer. The church is there, the early church is there, and they just say, let's just take time to pray. And so in the midst of prayer, there's this slave girl that comes and she's demon possessed. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now we, we hear the, the words that, that this demon-possessed slave girl is saying and it's doctrinally correct. We find that to be the case as you look at, at, at times in which Jesus is there and casting out demons. Frequently, they're saying things like, you are the Son of the Most High God. But in this case, we see that that. that the message is, is accurate, but in no way is this demon trying to, to do anything to, to encourage people to believe. Rather, just walking around and, and saying these things as if she's a follower and, and, and in her wickedness and all of the demon possession that she has, that that's okay. Um, it tells us that in verse 18 that she did this for many days following them. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
And he came out that very hour. But when the, her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So here's this, this slave girl, demon-possessed, doing fortune-telling for the people. So the demon had the wisdom to be able to say, this is going to happen next, and this is going to happen next, and knowing things that other people wouldn't have known because the demon's been there and been able to watch different people and all that's taking place. And we see just the, the, the great wickedness of, of fortune-telling even today or, or, or any kind of divination like that or psychics and things like that. But here's this, this demon doing all these things, and Paul casts her out, or the demon out of this, this young girl. And rather than the people being excited that there's, this girl's now in her right mind, they're incredibly angry that she's no longer going to be a prophet to them. They can't make money off this slave girl anymore. We see a similar story in, in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus is there and there, there's this man that's, that um, is one that, that, that is coming out of the tombs and he has an unclean spirit. He has got a, he's demon-possessed and He's dwelling by the tombs and no one can bind him, not even with chains because they'd often been bound with shackles and chains and, and the chains were pulled apart and the shackles were broken. And, and so he's one that would, would come out from the tombs and he'd cut himself with stones and, and he's the one that, that said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Um, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And we see that, that Jesus takes this man and, and, and casts the, the demons into the swine. And in this particular story, there's about 2,000 swine, pigs, that go violently running off a cliff into the sea, and they drown in the sea. And when the people saw what Jesus did, they pleaded with him to depart from the region. Why? Because he had affected their commerce. He had affected their their wallets. He had affected their money, their, their, their way of making a living by, by taking these, these pigs in this particular region and causing them to, to run out into the sea. And they, they hated him, pleading with him to leave. The same thing we find here in our text where this, this slave girl is freed from the demon. And as a result, they hate Paul and Silas. And so verse 20 says, they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive and, and observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks, to the stocks. So, so Paul and, and Silas are, are dragged. Tells us that, that, that in verse 19 that they were seized and they were dragged into the marketplace to the authorities. They're accused of being those that are troubling the city, teaching customs that are not lawful, for Romans. And so there's this mob mentality that takes these guys, they tear their clothing off, and they just begin to beat them with rods. Now you picture the, the, the circumstances here, and here's something just 
incredible that's taken place. Here's Paul, and he's ministering the gospel. Silas ministering the gospel. Free this, this young slave girl from this demon. And now they're being dragged to the authorities, clothes torn off, and they're beaten with rods. They're taken from there. It says when they had many stripes on them, meaning that they had been beaten terribly, they're thrown into prison. And then the, the jailer takes them and, and puts them in the inner prison, meaning like the, the most secure area, and fastens their feet to the stocks, which means that took the, 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 the metal shackles, put them on their feet, and spread their, their, their legs to a, a place where it was just excruciating pain, and their legs are cramping, and it's, it's just horrible circumstances. And so that's what's occurring. They're, they're, they're being tortured. They've been beaten. And when you get the idea that, when, when you hear, read that they're beaten, it's, it's, that this is severe as far as what's taking place. When you read something like this, you see just incredible persecution that's occurring. Not only that, but it's not hard to, to picture what's taking place here and to, and to imagine ourselves in a similar circumstance as far as what would we do or you may be in a place of of looking at trials and difficulties and tribulations that that you've gone through and you're and you're thinking why did this happen to me god why have you allowed this in my life and and start questioning i i, I was just trying to do something right paul and his circumstances here and silas are, we were just evangelizing we just shared the gospel with these people. We just cast this demon from this poor little slave girl. Why are we now beaten like this? Stripped naked and beaten. Why are we th thrown in prison? Why are we being tortured? Paul later on would say to the Philippians in chapter 127, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's been granted not only to believe in Him, Philippians, but also to suffer for His sake. So let your conduct be worthy of the gospel but know that there's going to be suffering that comes and so here's paul and, and and silas and they're in prison they've been beaten they're in the stocks and what are they doing are they there just saying like why this is ridiculous what did we do how do we get out of here that wasn't fair all of this is wrong why can't as soon as we get out of here let's get out of the city as quickly as possible they're not there they're not moaning they're not well they may be moaning but they're not complaining it says in verse 25 but at midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god and the prisoners were listening to them that's what they're doing they're there in the stocks in the inner part of the prison they're praying and they're singing to god they're singing hymns 
to God. All the other prisoners are there around and they're listening to these guys singing praises to God. How does that happen? How do you get beaten and thrown into prison and tortured and as a result you sing praises to God? Brothers and sisters, the only way that happens is you have just a huge view of who God is. You trust Him. You look at your current circumstances and you say, I don't know why this is happening, but God is way bigger than this. God knows things that I don't know. Um, I think of the, the, the sweetness of, of the word providence, um, a word that, that has been largely lost in our, in our culture, but one that is precious to, to all of us. Um, I think one of the best definitions of, of providence comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, written hundreds of years ago where it says this, God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And so you picture your circumstances. The providence of God, His almighty and ever-present power, a sovereign, almighty God, with His hand He upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, governs them so that from the tiniest things like a leaf and a blade to rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance. So the world looks at it and says, it's chance. Just, why? I, I get the worst luck. Why me? Why, why do I? I mean, that guy, it rains on his crops. Why doesn't it rain on my crops? How come I'm in poverty, but those people have riches? Why am I sick, but those people are healthy? What's the chances of this? Providence says it doesn't come by chance, but it comes by His fatherly hand. For us to have a view of God that sees Him like that is just, it's so important for us. I, I wake up every morning, and one of the first things I do is look at the news, like what happened while I was sleeping for those couple of hours. What happened? This morning I woke up to find that um, more articles on the fact that North Korea seems to want to drop a bomb on us or send a bomb towards us um, and that they're saying it's going to happen. Um, you have our president saying that if they so much as do that, 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 that uh, their leader will be destroyed quickly. And you wake up to that and you just think, okay, so what's going to happen? What does that mean? Can, it, can they send it all the way to California? They said mainland. Is that what that means? I mean, we're not talking about an island. Is, 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 it, is it that they could send it all the way here? And, and you could get yourself into a place of just 
a frenzy of, I don't know, the, 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 all the what-ifs that come our way, like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if the doctor says this? Or, 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 or what if this business transaction happens like that? Or what if I lose this? Or what if I lose that? And, and we could get to a place of just complete, utter stress and chaos. Or we could look and say, there's not anything that comes to us apart from his fatherly hand. I view God like that. John Flavel talking about the providence of God says, oh, what a world of rarities are to be found in providence. With what profound wisdom, infinite tenderness, and incessant vigilance it has managed all that concerns us from first to last. The way that, that God does things concerning us, there's tenderness involved with it. Wisdom involved with it vigilance that's involved with it to trust him to trust him whatever's going on in your life you look at the example of paul and silas here where they've just been beaten with rods their backs are torn open their clothing has been removed from them prior to that taking place and they're in the innermost parts of this jail and their legs are in the stocks, and they're being tortured. Um, the fact that you're here means that you're doing a little bit better than they were at that particular time, at least a little bit. And what are they doing? We're told that they are there, and they're praying, and they're, and they're worshiping. They're worshiping. Singing hymns to God as the other prisoners are listening. As this is taking place, suddenly there was a, a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison Awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. A great earthquake takes place. Their chains fall off. The doors of the prison open wide. And here's this jailer, keeper of the prison, woken up by the earthquake, goes outside, sees that the prison doors have been open, assumes that everybody has fled, and he takes his sword as according to the code of, the, of Justinian and, 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 and knowing that, that he's going to be put to death if, if, if these guys have all escaped. So he's ready to run that sword through him, himself. And as he's about to do that, Paul calls with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Don't kill yourself. Don't hurt yourself. We are all here. Now this is the same guy that, that has taken him and thrown him into the, the, the worst part of the prison. Same guy that, that could have just, hey guys, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think you deserve this. But I'm going to put you in here. Hope you're comfortable. No, he just puts him in the stocks takes them and tortures them. 
And now here's Paul calling to him with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Then he called for a light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. What a change that's taken place. Here the, the keeper of the prison is now falling down before Paul and Silas. Trembling before them. And he brought them out and he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You see, Paul and Silas, they they had no understanding of why it was that God had them arrested. They didn't know. They hadn't done anything wrong. Here they're beaten with rods, thrown into prison, and they're singing hymns and they're praying because they know that God is in control. When the opportunity comes to leave, they don't leave. When the opportunity comes for the prison guard to, to the keeper of the prison to run that sword through himself, Paul stops him. Don't, 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 stop, stop, stop. We're all here. And the reason why is because the reason why they can sing like that, the reason why they can pray like that, the reason why they can trust is because they know that they serve a God who's in control of everything, of everything. Absolutely everything. And in this case, God had them imprisoned. God had them tortured. God had it so that they're thrown in there. God causes this earthquake to take place. God makes it so that this guy is the keeper of the prison. And him and his family live probably adjacent to the prison. God had it so that that guy more likely did horrible things against Paul and Silas. And they're the ones that say, stop, stop. I mean, without a doubt, the the keeper of the prison knew the message, at least some of the message of Paul and Silas, possibly had heard some of the singing of what was taking place. But all of these things occurred to bring this man and his household to salvation. What must I do to be saved? You guys know something that I don't know. You react in situations in ways that I would never react, nor have I ever seen anybody react like that. What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. What an awesome, awesome circumstance. I want to make note that when we, when we think on these things, um, God's providence, God being in control, it doesn't mean that what these people did in beating, in beating Paul and Silas, or what this jailer did by putting him in the stocks, it doesn't mean that they're innocent of those things. It doesn't mean that God forced them to do these things to where they're innocent of these things. You think of... of Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20 where it says, but as for you, you meant evil against me to his brothers, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. These guys are still responsible for all that they did. 
They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God was sovereign over all of it. God knew all these things were going to take place. Think of Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the, the called according to His purpose. When you, when you think like that, when you believe like that, it changes the way in which we view trials and tribulation and persecution. And so the man cries out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. I read this week of a man named Bishop John Taylor Smith who was the chaplain for Queen Victoria during World War I. And he was in charge of all the chaplains for England. And he said that if anybody wanted to be a chaplain, they had to be able to answer the following question. He would say, I want to know if I were a soldier wounded in the battlefield, and you, if, if I'm a soldier wounded in the battlefield and I have three minutes to live and I'm afraid to die because I don't know Christ, tell me, how may I be saved and die with the assurance that all is well? And he says, if, if the applicant began to talk about all kinds of other stuff, I couldn't get right to the point as far as telling them in those three minutes how they could be saved. They couldn't become a chaplain in the army. They had to be able to give an answer how it is that you could be saved. If it came with, we'll go to this church and then you're going to do this and let's talk about these things. And he's like, you got three minutes. If you can't tell me in three minutes how I could be saved, you have no place in being a chaplain. We hear Paul and Silas, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You're saved through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Romans 8 or Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's by faith. It's by faith alone. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's good news for us this morning, isn't it? You're in a place of how can I be saved? Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Believe that He was buried and He rose again on the third day. Believe in Him and you will be saved. Trust in Him. He is God, the Creator of all things. And He came, sent from the Father, to die for you, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the Gospel. When this guy says, how can I be saved? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ.
In verse 33 it says, And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Radical. Here you have this, this, this man and, and he believes. He takes Paul and Silas and he takes them into his home and he just begins to wash their wounds. These stripes that are on their back, these, these oozing sores that are all over them, these cuts that have been there, that, 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 that have been afflicted upon them as, as they were beaten with rods. He takes them in and he washes them. And then he and his family are baptized. The beginning of the church of Philippi. You have this woman who sells purple. You have a slave girl who was consumed with demon. And you have the keeper of the prison. And more than likely, you have some of the prisoners that are listening to all of these things taking place. You have this church plant occurring. Him and his whole family were baptized. In verse 34, it says, Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. That's what was necessary. That was the tool that the Lord used to bring this man and his family to salvation. Part of it was the suffering of someone else. A couple people. Part of it was, was them thrown into prison. But God allowed these things, decreed these things, to bring about this man and his family being saved. You see God's hand on every part of it. No wonder Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praying, even from the prison. They trusted God. How do you handle adversities? Is your view of God so big that you're looking at it saying, I'm in the midst of just absolute chaos, but, and I don't know why this is happening, but I serve a God that tells me that I can know that all things work together for good for those who love Him and are the called. I love Him. I'm the called. I believe in Him. So I know that whatever these circumstances are, God will take this and He'll work together for good. And I trust Him to do that. I trust Him in, in such a way that I could be like Joseph talking to his brother saying, you guys meant this for evil. You meant it for evil. When, when, when you took me and, and, and you threw me in that, in that hole and then you sold me to the, the Midianite traders and then I got sold to... to this man named Potiphar, and then I got falsely accused and thrown into prison, and then I got forgotten by the chief baker and the chief butler, and then Pharaoh had this, this dream, and I interpreted his dream. Now I'm second in command of the Egyptian empire, and you're here, and I, you need food, and your little ones need food. You meant this for evil. The stuff that you did was for evil, but God meant it for good to bring salvation to many people. To save many people alive. God had a plan. And for us to view God in such a way of, I trust you, I don't know. I mean, you talk about a bad day, your brothers hate you so much that they throw you in a hole and sell you to many traders, and then you get sold into slavery and all that took place in this man's life. And they tell dad like he got eaten. 
all that took place, and, and, and he's able to say, I, I have a view of God that tells me that you guys are bad. You're not the best brothers anybody ever had. You meant this for evil. But God's so much bigger than you. He meant it for good. He had a plan. God's providence was in control of everything. God doesn't make mistakes. Trust Him. Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. As a result of all that's happened to me, God's used it for the furtherance of the gospel to where even when I'm in chains, it's making the rest of the brothers and sisters have more confidence to proclaim the gospel. He's using it. He's using it for the furtherance of the gospel. He says to, in 2 Corinthians, Therefore I, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This light affliction, these things that go on, God is using it for an eternal weight of glory. There is a reason for it all. He trusted. He trusted the Lord. In verse 35, it says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, Let those men go, Paul and Silas. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul says to them, They've beaten us openly. Uncondemned Romans. We're Roman citizens. They've thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. So here they're being said, you can go. The magistrates have said you could go. And Paul's like, no. I'm not going to let them put us away secretly. Let us go secretly. I want everybody to know that they can't do this to us. They can't throw us in prison and beat us like that. We're Roman citizens. And part of the reason why he's doing this is he's doing it for the protection of this new founded church. He doesn't want them to be doing this to the church, the church where they could just take Christians and take these Roman citizens and beat them and throw them into prison and then say, okay, well, we'll let you go now and nobody will know. He's like, no, I want everybody to know what you've done. And so that's the response. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city, pleading with them, will you guys please go? Will you please leave? What a, what a change that took place. God's hand was over all of it to make it so that this church would be better off and God's name would be glorified. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. What an awesome time that must have been in Lydia's house. They're there. More than likely, it's Lydia, it's her family. It's this slave girl who came to know Christ after the, the demon was thrown out of her. The jailer, his family. They're there in Lydia's house. And Paul and Silas are there just to say, we, we want to encourage you. We just want to encourage you. They encouraged them and departed. 
It doesn't tell us that Luke, who's writing this, departed with him. Some say that more likely Luke stayed and was there to pastor these people. Luke, Luke usually mentions himself going with them wherever they go. But apparently he stayed behind. We see a picture of a church plant. We see a picture of God's sovereign hand over all things. We see a picture of the way in which people respond biblically with a huge view of God in the midst of incredible adversity. And I encourage you, may we view him like that? Do you trust that leaf and blade and rain and drought and poverty and riches and sickness and health? Do you trust that all things come to you not by chance, but by his fatherly hand? I do. May we see him like that. A sovereign God that can work all things together for good. A sovereign God that could take things that people mean for evil and he can mean it for good. A sovereign God that, that we serve that can be trusted, can be depended upon. His word doesn't return void. It accomplishes purposes. His Holy Spirit is there to work in us. Just like Paul said to the Philippians, he who began a good work in it, he'll be faithful to complete it. He is a God that works like that. And may it enable us to even sing hymns and be an incredible witness in the worst of circumstances. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, may we sing hymns now. May we sing songs to you now, regardless of what's going on in our lives. May our hearts just be open to the place of singing praises unto you. We see you bringing people to salvation, opening hearts, determining circumstances so that chains fall off and prison doors are opened and and saints don't run, but rather they proclaim the gospel. May we view you in such a way that we trust you. And when the world would be in chaos, may we be in praise unto our sovereign God, the one in whom has saved us. Be exalted now, Lord, through the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.